Ho, 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 Merry Christmas and welcome to another exciting episode of the Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are doing awesome. I'm recording this intro at 11.06 p.m. Christmas Day. It's done. We did it. All the presents were open. Um, If you don't know me and my family, we have a six-year-old kid, Owen, and uh, he had the best day. He opened up way too many presents. He was a good boy. He's asleep. And now, um, I don't know. It feels like Christmas is like the end of the year, but there's this weird like after week. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to jump into that and see what 2024 has to offer at Different Church. I'm also excited for you to hear this message. It is a classic Hannah sermon at a uh, important Christian holiday event slash thingy where she just ruins it for everyone. She debunks it, talks about all the Christmas misconceptions where we have added in things to the story over the years, but really sort of breaks it down to the original meaning. And um, I don't know, I think whenever you do something like this, it like brings about meaning that was already there that's been hidden over time and it's cool i like it a lot and i hope you will too uh we do have church this sunday it is new year's eve and we will be having just our normal service at 10 30 uh, hannah will not be there which means if you are someone who attends in person we highly encourage you to be there because one of our own is getting up on stage to speak miss terry and anytime any uh anyone from the audience gets up to speak we want to support them as much as we can if you're going to miss a sunday miss a hand miss a hannah sunday not a volunteer sunday that's it that's all i have for you thank you so much for listening this year it's been amazing to uh put this content out for you i hope it has meant as much to you as it has meant uh for us to produce it and without further ado the last hannah message of 2023 uh how many of you were allowed to watch home alone as a kid how many of you were not allowed to watch home alone as a kid yeah me too because it was um he had what my mother called a bad attitude and she didn't want me picking up any tips from him little did they know i had my own bad attitude (laughs) and it was extra bad i didn't need any help merry christmas i'm so happy to see all your ugly christmas sweaters and your festive attire and if you're not wearing festive stuff well your christmas present is i'm not going to call you a scrooge from stage you may attend the festivus christmas is to me the most wonderful magical amazing historically inaccurate time of the year. Um, And I love it. I love it so much. My favorite Christmas song is Away in a Manger. You know, like Away in a Manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Okay, okay, no problem, right? Second verse says, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I'm sorry, have you met a baby? That's literally the first thing they do when they wake up. They're like, ah, pain. And I don't think that that is very accurate. That's what babies do when they wake up. They cry. Sometimes me also. But it's not about me. (laughs) What are your favorite Christmas songs? Shout them out. Christmas time is here. Christmas here. Christmas rapping. I don't even know that one. Silent Night. I'm going to have to look that up. Not Silent Night. I know Silent Night. (laughs) What? What did someone else say? This Christmas. This Christmas. That's a good one. Um, Nova's favorite one is Have a Holly Jolly Christmas. 
and Run Run Rudolph. So we're clearly doing something right because who's not in either of those songs? Jesus. <laughs> um, I was really hoping someone was going to say, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> Coming home from my house Christmas Eve. <clears throat> now she'd been drinking too much eggnog. I'm sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> this is a Sunday that also happens to be Christmas Eve, so we should read the Christmas story because that's what we're here for, right? This is what it says in Luke chapter 2. It says, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census would be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger. So there was no room available for him at the inn. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But an angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing has happened, which the Lord told us about. Okay. That was so nice. Now, there are things we know about the Christmas story. And by know, I mean there are things that we assume about the Christmas story. And here's just a few things that we assume. This is an incomplete list. Check back next year for part two. We assume that Mary rode on a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I have seen paintings. I have seen pictures, murals, mosaics, cartoons saying that Mary is on a donkey. Guess what's not in the Bible? A donkey. There is no donkey mentioned in the Bible. Um, I hope for Joseph's sake there was a donkey. I don't know if you've been around a pregnant lady, but like speed and agility is not on their list of qualities. Um, can you imagine Mary walking all the way from Nazareth? Like, <laughs> I hope, in fact, there was a donkey and a cart and that Mary was like in the cart with fuzzy blankets. But there's no donkey or horse or cart of any kind mentioned in the Christmas story. We're just like, the donkey, seems good. We should add one. We assume there was a star overhead when Jesus is born, the Christmas star. There's books, children's books written about the Christmas star. I'm pretty sure we have like three of them. Guess what's not in the Bible? A Christmas star. It is not there. We also assume that there was just a lot of mean innkeepers in Bethlehem and every single Holiday Inn Express just slammed the door in Mary and Joseph's faces, and they were like, you're trying to find a room for the night on census eve? Are you crazy? Bah humbug. Get out of here. Poor Mary. She was so pregnant, so over it. Poor Joseph, traveling, was so pregnant, so over it, Mary. Would anyone take pity on them and give them a room for the night? And then one kind, miraculous innkeeper took pity on them. He didn't have any more rooms in his motel, but he did have a stable where they kept animals, and he let them sleep on the hay for the night. Praise be to God. Or in modern English, hashtag blessed. <laughs> there is no innkeeper mentioned in the Bible. 
Not a single one. Not the mean ones who worked at La Quinta. Not the nice one who worked at the Hyatt Bethlehem. <laughs> and let them stay in the stable with the horses. No inns, in fact. There was no inn at all. But you might respond, there is. The word inn is used in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It says there's no room available for the inn. So if there's an inn, there has to be an innkeeper, right? You can't just have inns with do people doing whatever they want. Not at census time. Well, that's kind of what it says. It really should be translated, she wrapped him in a cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Thousands of years of storytelling and our sheer distance from the ancient world has given us like a big misunderstanding because most of our understanding of the Christmas story comes from Renaissance paintings or children's plays at church, or if you grew up like I did, felt bored baby Jesus. Paintings and children's plays would really have us believe that this is what the Christmas story is. You ready? What had happened was, Mary is pregnant. She could have the baby any day now. But the annoying old Emperor Augustus called the census at the last minute, and Mary and Joseph have to literally run. They have to take a red-eyed donkey from Bethlehem. No, from Nazareth. <laughs> I'm getting mixed up in my own story. From Nazareth to Bethlehem, where Joseph is from. Why are they in such a hurry? Did their census notice get lost in the mail? Mary is so pregnant, by the time they get into Bethlehem, they find a barn to sleep in, and she immediately pops out that baby. She was like, oh no, contraction, baby. And Joseph has to catch it, which was very normal in the ancient world, as you all know. Um, and, and the only other witnesses are some animals. And then on that very same night, some shepherds show up to celebrate and bring with them their sheep, which have no speaking lines, but look very cute in their costumes. <laughs> Just what a mom wants after she's popped out a baby. <laughs> Strange, dirty men who have been sleeping in a field, <laughs> arriving to see her infant, and they brought sheep. That makes perfect sense to put them right next to a baby. The end. That's the Christmas story. Also, it was the savior of the world. Now the end. Let's use our common sense, okay? First of all, Rome was a huge empire. Notice of a census would have gone out months and months in advance with specific dates for everyone to arrive back in their hometowns. They would not have been counting every hometown at once because there would not have been enough census takers to be in every single town. Also, if everyone had to go to their hometown, it would have completely shut down the entire economy of the Roman Empire. So it was very likely that it was a staggered process. People would have known a long time in advance where they were supposed to be and when. Second, everyone knows you do not travel with a super pregnant lady. Anything could happen. The baby could be like, hi, hello. Also, super pregnant ladies are not the best traveling companions. They can be slightly grouchy. Usually this is because they are getting kicked in the kidney and they have wicked heartburn and they're not sleeping. Um, and they're gonna take it out on you because it is your fault. It is always best to do the traveling before month eight. So Mary and Joseph did go to Bethlehem for a census, but they were not in a hurry, okay? They were not traveling two days before Jesus arrived, like, oh no, we forgot to get counted. Let's rent a donkey. The Bible says while they were there, the days were completed, meaning they were in Bethlehem for a while waiting for the baby to come. And they weren't alone. In ancient society, family stayed with family, especially pregnant ones. 
um, which is my third point, Mary and Joseph were not staying in a hotel. In the ancient world, hotels were very rare. If there was a hotel, it was like a roadside establishment in the middle of nowhere where someone actually might need a place to crash because they had no family and they were not reputable institutions. Certainly not where you would shove a pregnant lady. Um, you'd shove like a merchant or soldiers. You could get like bread and food and alcohol. That's pretty much what they were good for. You could rent a bed. It was not like a nice hotel with a chocolate on your pillow. No, terrible. So they were not being turned away from hotels because there were no hotels for them to be turned away from. Mary and Joseph probably arrived and found Joseph's relative's house crammed with all their other people who were arriving to be counted for the census. And houses in that society are generally two levels. There's a first level where you do the cooking and the cleaning and the eating and the regular living, and the second level for sleeping. And at night, all the animals that belonged to the family would get brought inside for safety, protect them from theft, etc. And I mean, like, I know lots of, how many of you have a pet? Almost everyone. I don't because I'm like the seahorse in Finding Nemo, who's like, I'm H2O intolerant. Except for me, it's air, <laughs> so I cannot have a pet. But can you imagine just like going upstairs and hearing and smelling while you are sleeping a donkey and sheep and chickens and maybe a cow just like beneath you? I just need to say in the words of Alexis, ill, David. <laughs> and to show you how committed I am to this bit. Yeah. I was just going to do that without a warning, but Jarrett made me really nervous this morning. He was like, don't get a wardrobe malfunction in church. And I was like, oh no, what if it happened? <laughs> Mary and Joseph did not come face to face with closed doors. They just had to make sleeping arrangements in the bottom part of the house. And yet, the writer of Luke wants us to know that there was no room for them in the usual place you would host a pregnant family member. Questionable. Are you, willing, are you telling me that not one cousin, aunt, uncle, grandparent was willing to offer up their better room to Joseph's fiance who was about to have a baby? No one was willing to let the pregnant lady have an actual bed? That feels pretty indicting. Something was going on. Maybe Joseph's family was being super passive aggressive. We know nothing about this. Not in our families. They're angels. Maybe they disapproved of Joseph still marrying Mary, who got pregnant without him. Maybe they were just really selfish. But no one in the whole family was decent enough to give Mary a nice place to sleep. And I wonder what Mary was thinking. I, I don't... I'm not going to assume Mary had a little bit of anxiety just because I do, but like, she probably was in her head, right? She was probably like, is this the kind of family I am marrying into? They don't even like me. They won't even let me sleep anywhere. They're putting me about to have a baby on the hay. I'm not a selfish person. I'm not trying to take up all this room, but like, I'm literally about to have a baby. And they're like, here's your sleeping companion. He's a sheep. He has no speaking lines, but he will ba in your face at 2 a.m. She was probably exhausted, not just from being pregnant, but from like carrying the weight of everyone's disappointment in her. I bet she missed her own family, her own mother, her own grandmother. She was probably sad that they wouldn't get to experience Jesus' birth with her and hold her hand and encourage her. She was probably scared that she would be alone, going through the most vulnerable thing that she could, giving birth with a family who was only tolerating her. 
We say so much at Christmas time about Jesus coming to earth and God choosing to live as a human with us in our mess and our stress and our disappointment and our difficulty. And I don't think we say enough about Mary, her agency, her choice, her resolve, because she chose to participate in the most wild thing she probably had ever heard of, the birth of a baby who was also the son of God. She chose this knowing the ramifications. She chose this knowing that she might be alone and sad and vulnerable. She chose this knowing that people would talk about her behind her back. She chose this knowing that people would treat her and her baby differently. And no one could blame her for not wanting to do that. But instead, she chose love. She chose to believe that there was actually a chance that all of this wasn't in vain that it wasn't hopeless, that it did have meaning, that God actually cared. I wonder if sometimes we feel the same way about God and our family of faith. I mean, we've met each other, right? We've been around Christians. We know what they're like. Worse, we know what we're like. And sometimes we think like, is, is this the kind of family I am joining? They don't even like me. We get exhausted, not just from living, but from carrying the weight of everyone's disappointment in us. And we're scared that we're going to be alone, going through the most vulnerable thing we can do, being human, with this faith family, and by extension, this God that are only tolerating us. Y'all can come back up here. We're tired of pretending, I think. We're tired of feeling unseen and unappreciated. We get underwhelmed. Is this what life is really like? Is this what faith is really like? Is this what Christmas is really like? Underneath all the twinkly lights and the pretty songs and the beautiful trees, there's just a dirty floor filled with animals and family drama and the goop of birth and a mom who has nowhere else to lay her infant than a manger. But actually, I think that's the real magic of Christmas. So when God entered our world, it was not pretty or perfect. It was messy. We did not have to clean up first. God still came. We did not have to fix all of our family drama. God still came. We did not have to fix all of our passive-aggressive tendencies. God still came. We didn't even have to make the perfect place or roll out the red carpet or even clean out a manger. God still came. God came and has not left. God is here. Emmanuel means God with us in the darkest night, like we talked about last week. The light is born. What does next year hold for you? I don't know. But don't be afraid. What does the path of change look like for you? I don't know. But don't be afraid. Will you get to a place where you finally accept all the parts of yourself? I hope so. Don't be afraid. Will you heal and hurt and heal and hurt and just keep doing that in a cycle until you die? Yeah. Don't be afraid. Will you get to a new place of seeing everything? Will your desire to say yes to the life you already have grow? Will life still be complicated and messy? but also beautiful and hopeful and good? 
yes. A hundred times yes. Don't be afraid. Or as we say it now, Merry Christmas. Loved ones, when we stand at the doorway to an unknown path, may we not be afraid, not of divine encounters or the transformation to come or our own precious goopy bodies. Emmanuel, God is with us in body, in spirit, in eternity to come. May we open our hearts to the light that started as a baby crying, but now envelops the whole world in the eternal song of love. Amen. Merry Christmas. Bye.